Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Excuse Me Brother podcast show. And tonight we got a good one for y'all. I'm your host, Brother Jay. With me, I got my co-host, Brother Tay and producer Jay. And like I said, we got a good one for y'all tonight because we have another guest tonight. We got a good one. We got a, the smart money bro. We got him, y'all. We got him. Mr. Eric Buckley, financial expert. Mr. Bowie, brother Bowie, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you here. Thank you for coming. Uh, my pleasure. Glad to be here and uh, looking forward to sharing with you guys and uh, just swapping out and talking and having a good time and trying to uh, drop a little knowledge for you guys here today. And, and, you see how rude brother Jay is? He don't even let me and producer Jay even talk. He just says our day. I'm trying to get right into it, y'all. His time is limited. Yeah. We got, you know, we got a late start. My apologies, but you know we we here, so we got we gonna get this thing rolling. Um, Brother Bowie, you are a financial expert. Um, I just wanted to share a little bit of how I found you. I think someone from I, no, I think we're in a couple of the same Facebook groups mm. when it comes to money. Like I think the Black Travel Movement, the Blackout Coalition, and a couple of other you know black uh, black centric Facebook groups. And there was some post that you made. I forget which one it was exactly because this was about a year and a half ago. And you were breaking down some, I think, something about real estate. And I was like, hmm, let me watch his brother's videos. And I immediately got hooked immediately because I was like, look, we finally got another black man who's out here trying to break down the financial game in ways that we can understand, like the regular common man and especially young people like me and my co-hosts here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tay and uh, Jay, have y'all ever heard of him before? I heard of him through you. I haven't heard of him otherwise. But once you said, I I did a little bit of research, and he he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never until you mentioned his name. I did not know of this. I'm not really one of the people who follows like real estate and financial things. Probably should. Also, I'm old. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no young. There's no youth in this. I have an old body. I am freezing cold. Old soul. So uh, this body gave up on me a long time ago. I have a lot of you. It's all right. So uh, brother Bowie, can you just give us a little bit of backdrop on your history and you know where you're from, uh, how long you've been doing this financial game, and uh, you know just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, uh, appreciate it, guys. Again, thanks for having me. Um, my personal story. Um, is, um, you know, I've been, I've been around for quite a while. <laughs> I'm in my fifties, so I'm not a young spring, not a young guy, but, uh, my personal story really starts guys. Uh, I'm from Kansas city area, Kansas city, Kansas, to be exact. Now, if you know anything about Kansas city, there's KCK and there's KC Mo. Okay. I'm from the Kansas side of, of Kansas city. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, grew up, you know, pretty poor, um, food stamps, welfare, um, after I was 10 years old, single mom, youngest of five kids. Um, so I grew up in a, um, you know, moving around a lot, didn't have a lot. Um, and, uh, came from the inner city, just a regular old person, you know, nobody special, nothing special. Um, but, uh, you know, I went on, you know, poor grades in high school. Um, not that I was not smart, 
I just didn't try. Didn't give it. Didn't didn't give too much uh, effort. And yeah. uh, when I graduated yeah, high school, I think I had a one point uh, one point eight GPA or something like that wow. in high school. Um, didn't have yeah, much, you know. But uh, you know, hey, by the time I went to community college, I think I went to community college uh, a year later because it was cheap. And I was supposed to go. You know how it is. Yeah. Everybody thinks you're halfway smart, so you decide to go. All too well. <laughs> so I went my first year at community college. I had a 1.75 GPA, and I was on academic probation. Um, again, I'll, here's the kicker, though. The kicker was this. I was always told since I was young that I was bright. That was the word they used, bright. Well, he's bright. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's smart. You know, he's smart. But he doesn't apply himself, right? So I never applied myself, but in terms of academically, when I started to apply myself was when I was 20 years old. No, I was 19 years old and I was had, had set out after I was on that academic probation, I set out for a semester. Then I took six hours another semester. And then I said, I had a bright idea and say, you know what? I want to be a school teacher. I think I was 19 years old. I said, I don't think I want to be a school teacher because my birthday's in the summer. So when I, when I, when I graduated, I was like 17. So I said, I think I want to be a school teacher. So guess what? For the next two years, I got I went to I went back to the community college for two years in a row. I got straight A's. Nice. Boom, straight A's. Because there you go. Because all along, I always knew that I could do it. It was just a matter of me turning it into action. So so I said, let me turn this on. Boom, and I got straight A's, and I went and I got a uh, I moved my GPA up to two point five. And I said, I got to go to an in-state college because I, you know, I can't afford an out-of-state college. So it was between Kansas State and KU University, right? Mm -hmm. Because they were in-state and they were cheap. Well, in order to get into KU school education, you had to get a 2.75 GPA. But to get into K-State, you can have a 2.5. So boom, I got a 2.55, transferred my credits down to Kansas State University at the age of 22. I went down there with no car, got a part-time job at Wendy's. And mm-hmm. and I rode the, the the bus back and forth because I got an apartment and uh, I got food stamps. The day I went down there, I, I went ahead and applied for food stamps so I can get food stamps as a grown person. And I just made it work. And now I was going to college. Boom. I had some direction. I knew I could you know make the, these straight A's and all this good stuff. And next thing you know, when I was 24 years old, I graduated with a degree in education. Nice. nice. And I was a seventh grade school teacher for seven years. Wow. Oh. That's so, that, that's part of my academic background. Thirty-four. Ooh, no, I'm wrong. 31. So that's where. So okay, because when I watch your videos, uh huh, it sounds like you are you were you had that teacher's acumen. You know what I'm saying? Like you have that teacher that teacher vibe. Well, I always felt like I was in a classroom when I was watching your videos. I could be in a car. I could be in my house. I could be at work, and I'm watching your videos. I'm like, hmm, I should write that down. <laughs> I should take note of that, you know, so you, I, I can understand that, you know, your teacher background and see where it came from. That's, um, pretty, that's pretty neat you said that. That's interesting. So I always hear that, man, that, you know, I kind of kind of have that teacher feel, that educational feel. And I think that's where it came from, because I said, hey, I want to be a teacher. So I spent my 20s as a teacher teaching young people and also coaching. I was a coach, basketball coach, coached a lot of basketball, uh, middle school, high school boys. Um, also, I'm a parent, so I got three kids. And so, I, you know, mm-hmm. when I got married, when I was 30, I didn't get married till I was 30 years old. But we had our children, raised our children. I was a teenage dad. I got I had my son when I was 18 years old. 
So I have a son that's 30, 32 years old, oh, wow. 32, 33. He's 33. So I have a, I have a son that's older. I have daughters that are in their twenties. So, um, I've been, I've been teaching and instructing and feeling like a teacher or feeling like I had something to share with the world, uh, for a long time, even before I became an actual educator. So I did that for a lot of years, man. Uh, work with people, helping people. So now I get a chance to help people also through things like YouTube, podcast, et cetera. So it's interesting uh, that you saw that um, when you you observed that. That was uh, it's pretty sharp. I'm not going to lie. When you first started talking to us, when we like first started talking in the room, my brain, because I've been a sports kid. I was in basketball team since I was like six. Oh, yeah. As soon as you start talking, my brain's like, he gives me a coach vibe. Oh, <laughs> I don't like this at all. You know what <laughs> I think it is? Just, I'm, just mist- I'm just, I just have this authority thing, I think, that I like to be in authority or the, act like I'm no, in authority. It's okay. I get the same thing from other, when some people maybe too, because I also coach basketball. I call, um, my aunt was a basketball coach who uh, got injured before she got to do the Olympics. For women's basketball, mm. so I helped her coach growing up. Uh, Jay, uh, both Jays don't know about this. Yeah, but, uh, they, told what? This. <laughs> I coached a lot of kids. Actually, my the oldest, I think the most successful kid that made it from my aunt and me is Terrence Mann of the Clippers. Terrence my aunt, keeps it. Oh, that's pretty. That's pretty high up. My mom, uh, my aunt keeps in, my aunt still keeps in tracks with his mother. Really. Mm-hmm. Terrence, man, is big time, man. That's pretty cool. I still watch a lot of NBA every day. I'm watching. There's some games on right now. I'm going to watch as soon as we get done. So I'm a big basketball <laughs> What's your favorite team? Man, it's big time. What's your favorite team? Uh, you know what, man? I don't have any favorite team. I like the game. And so it depends. Certain personalities <laughs> on certain rosters. You know, I'm, I I don't like Golden State. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, excuse State. me, bro. Why not? <laughs> I can't it's stand Golden State, man. I think they're uh, – first of all, I didn't like the fact that they won two two championships and they went out and got KD. Come on now. that's You win 70 games one year and you go out and get the, one of the best players in the world. That's, that's, I feel like that's Kate. I didn't blame that on them. I blamed that on KD because as a, as a as an ownership, you you got to try to get what's good. That was, was a chasing move, man. So I always say this: they won two championships. That's all that counts. I don't care about them other two. They won with KD, and KD <laughs> won two championships. So in my mind, they didn't win four. They only won two. That's just me. I respect that. I respect. Technically, that. they won three. You want to count last year? <laughs> no, no, they you won. Talk about that one. I know I'm talking. About, I know I'm talking about, but they technically have three now. If we're only, if we we're not going to count the KD ones, no two. Oh, there's two. Oh, is it? Yeah, and, you're right. Then 15, and then last year he doesn't count the two that they won with KD. No, you're you're right. I don't know why I thought he won five. Doesn't my count. brain's a little all over the place. <laughs> no, that so that that's guys. That's my that's my uh, kind of my academic background. And ever since two two thousand two, for the last twenty twenty years, I've worked for the federal government. And what I do for the federal government is manage contracts. And I've been managing contracts about four, about 15, 14 or 15 years for the federal government. Mm-hmm. And when I say manage contracts, I work with, you know, procurement, you know, bringing on contractors mm-hmm. as a contracting officer, warranted contracting officer for the federal government. I've been so. And when I say contractor, I'm saying that, you know, we work with small businesses that want to do business with the federal government and provide services or goods to the federal government. I would manage those. Mm-hmm. I've been managing those contracts for quite a while. I did construction for a lot of years, um, mm-hmm. leasing services for a lot of years. So 
that's what I that's what I do now. And I also kind of work with and help small businesses understand the government contracting space. I mean, the government did, the government last year did over six hundred billion dollars worth of contracts, mm. more than a hundred more than one hundred and twenty billion dollars with small businesses. So a lot of people don't understand that if you have a small business, you can get government contracts and here's how you get them. And I can explain I can I can do a three hour symposium on how to go about getting government contracts and um, learning that space, becoming a small business. So I, I do a little of that on the side as well. Um, but I do so much, man. I also own real estate, obviously, uh, as you've seen some from some of the videos I've done. So and I've been in the real estate game since 2000 when I bought my first piece of property in 2000, mm -hmm. um, managing and owning my own rentals. Um, so I do a lot of stuff with helping people with that. I'm on a planning and zoning committee co or commission for the city I live in. In other words, um, you know, a Taco Bell wants to come to your city. They got to submit plans. We have to plan <laughs> that. They might have a conditional use permit. So I, I do all that for the city that I live in as well. So I'm on the planning and zoning commission as a commissioner. Um, I also uh, do a YouTube channel, write a blog, you know, help people one on one with with their money. Because another big piece of my story is where I've been in terms of money, right? right. And that's why I call myself Smart Money Bro. Um, because um, when I was 30 years old, I had zero. I had nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean my, my net worth back then when I figured it was about negative $30,000. Meaning I didn't, even buy, I didn't even live in a house that I knew the owner until I was 30 years old and bought my first piece of uh, property. So, like I said, I grew up in apartments, man, you know, apartments and rental houses and so forth. Uh, my mother and father didn't own a house. My mother and father uh, didn't have high school diplomas. OK, so um, so when I finally said, OK, uh, I'm going to get myself together and I'm going to start. I was teaching school and I started learning about a little bit about money and I started learning about real estate. I began to turn my financial situ situation around at the same time. Of course, not to mention also to mention that in 2000, I became a Christian, OK, a born again Christian. Right. Mm -hmm. So in 2000, a lot happened right around that time at the end of my teaching uh, spot when I was teaching. So um, I had a negative thirty thousand dollar net worth over the next 20 years. I built that to, to almost seven figure net worth. And the reason I like to be honest and say almost seven figures, because I'm not I'm not a flashy person. I'm, I don't have the I drive a 2007 Toyota Camry. OK. And my wife drives a 2015 Camry paid for. My daughters have Camrys. Uh, now, my son, he's married and has kids. so I have, I'm a grand grandfather, but I don't have um, he, didn't, he, he didn't go to Toyota route. Right. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say this Camry like this. This Camry dealership is working out. <laughs> so that's 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 part of my thing, man, is that, uh, you know, I was able and I say, let me go get back to that. So I figured my net worth a couple of times a year. And because the market, as you guys know, has been down way down this year, right? Mm -hmm. uh, over, you know, NASDAQ and Dow Jones and uh, S&P down 20%, you know, this year. Mm -hmm. Now, had that been not 20%, had it been a more normal year, my net worth would be over seven figures at this point. But so, I, and I say that to this, I say that because this, we see a lot of gurus on, on the internet, right? On YouTube and on Instagram, you name it, right? And they're always touting seven figures and seven figures. But sometimes they, 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 they don't really show you and they're not as honest as possible, right? So when I talk to people, I want to be as upfront and honest and say, hey, 
I'm not quite at seven figures, right? Net worth wise, but I'm really, really close. And I'm talking in the mid 900s, right? But the reason I'm not seven figures, and I did a YouTube video about this, is because the market is down. Had the market been just even an average market, right? Then it, I would probably be over seven figures. Half of that is in things that we put away to the side since I've been investing and, and working at jobs, but the other half is real estate. But that is kind of my story in terms of money, guys. I started with zero, negative zero. Matter of fact, I was 30 years old, living in an apartment. I could tell you the address of the apartment, but I won't. But I was living in the <laughs> I had a 1996 Honda Civic. I had about 10 grand that I had from my uh, teacher time because when you're a teacher in any state, they make you put money back for your teacher's uh, state retirement, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's New York or New, or New Jersey or whether it's you know Delaware or whatever, you have they have a system set up for all teachers, a retirement system, and you got to put money to the side. So in 2000, nice. I had about 10 grand sitting over there. And when I went to go work for the federal government in 2022, ultimately I moved that money over to my federal government and it's been growing ever since, mm -hmm. ever since then. So, the point is, is that I, that's all I had. I, I didn't have a house, didn't have no, had never, I didn't, I had, I didn't realize I could own a house. Okay. And I didn't have, uh, and so I didn't have anything, but it's just grown and grown and grown. And I did some things between 2020, between 2000 and 2022, my lifestyle and habits is what allowed me to be able to grow my finances to where they are today. And that's why what I teach people is I don't teach you to get rich quick. I don't teach you to invest in crypto and try to become a crypto uh, big time Bitcoin, Shibu Inu, Shibu, whatever it is, right? <laughs> it's not FTX, what happened to FTX, but I don't teach that type of teaching because I'm a more of an old school person. You know, I'm, in other words, I believe you got to take some time and you got to develop the right habits and those right habits will turn into they, the, the fruition will be that you'll have something, right? Not that you got to go out and get it today or tomorrow. You got to be flashy and all that. I'm really old school. Take your time. Be patient. Uh, good habits will get you where you want to go over the course of time. So that's kind of what I and that's, that stuff is not real popular. Right. I could. You can't blow up on IG talking about be patient and take your time growing your wealth. Right. 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 But you could blow up on blow up on there. If, if I went back and went and rented a Maybach or something and and, uh, you know, had a Bentley and did a bunch of videos, me sitting around a Bentley with a big stupid tie on, you know, looking good, whiteboard out in front of the street on the street. Right? <laughs> but that's not my style and it's not what I do. So I stick to what I know. And what I know is discipline with money, good habits over time. And that's what I teach. And that's what you see on those YouTube videos is just being smart with your money. And not uh, not doing. I'm not a big risk taking guy. Now you got to take some risk, right? When it comes to money, you can't just sit and be too, too, um, too scared, too nervous, too fearful, right? Mm -hmm. So I try to take and say, hey, what can I do to lower my risk, but still over time, being patient, grow my money. So I'm the old, I mean, I'm the old fashioned guy. I'm the old uncle, right? The old uncle that you know talks about doing things the right way, and everybody says, shut up, man. We want to get rich right now. But, you know, it's all about patient, living below your means. So I had a set few things that I did over those years, man. And that's what helped, helps, help, has helped grow my money to where it is. So I'm not, a, I'm not sitting on 10 million. I'm not sitting on 5 million. I'm sitting on 900 something thousand that as soon as the market turns around the next, uh, you know, six months, year, year and a half, it'll be over a million. And by in 10 years from now, you get back with me, it'll be 3 million. It'll be 4 million. 
so that's 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 kind of my story a little bit about uh, my background i think there's a lot of stuff there that we could dig into but uh that's a little bit about it so um american go ahead ahead, producer i'm sorry i was just gonna comment saying that's like the american dream like what what people talk about coming from the bottom to the top like that's that's very inspiring appreciate it appreciate that so so what are some of the habits that you started to um that you started to employ when you started to make that change you said the year 2000 was a big year for you uh you made a lot of changes in your life you became born again christian you started developing good habits basically what are some of those habits that you started to develop and do you think that any of those habits are still employable for say our generation 100 percent, 1000 percent, absolutely you know good principles man they don't really change over time right they worked back in 1950 they worked back in 2020 they work today good habits are good habits they're just good principles to live by and to behave by right so some of the habits that i, I one of the things I did, man, is is since I moved out of my mother's house to go to college in 1992, remember, I told you I got food stamps, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had to start working on a budget and I did a budget. I actually did a video on YouTube about, you know, 300 some odd monthly budgets in a row that I did because I haven't missed a month of budget since since the 1990s. OK, since about 1993, 92, I haven't missed a month of doing a budget and a written budget. Now, that written budget was on a piece of notebook paper until about 2019, but 2019, I moved it into a Google spreadsheet. But for the most part, I budget my month, my, my, my money every single month. And I, I've done that consistently for about 28, what is that, 30 years, consistently budgeting my money. Now, that's, that, that's, that takes a lot of discipline, but it, ain't, it don't take a lot of time. Okay, it just takes a lot of discipline to be willing to sit down and do it. In other words, and here's why I do it and I'll get to some other habits as well. But here's why I do a budget, because a budget makes me feel in control of my money. Okay, a budget gives me power Um, and a budget says, okay, one hundred fifty dollars. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. That way, the budget and the money is not telling me what to do and bossing me around like I'm some chump. Right. Because I don't want to be a chump to my money. I want to tell my money what to do. So I say, hey, listen, here, two hundred fifty dollars. Here's what you do. Three hundred dollars. Here's what you do. OK, here's envelope. OK, and I still use the envelope system today, believe it or not. I've been using it <laughs> since before I even heard of a Dave Ramsey. Uh, in the 1990s, I was taking my money and I had like five or six envelopes and I had to put my food money here because I had to walk to the I had no car in 92, 93, 94. I had to walk to the grocery store and say, take my cash out, put it in my pocket. So, so I've been doing that. and I still do that today to this day, believe it or not, worth almost seven figures. I have a food envelope right over there and I to go in there and get that money out and go buy food. Call me old school. I told you I'm old school, <laughs> but. This is just discipline. The budget is about discipline. It's about being having a set regimen of what you're going to do and being in control. Right. So many people feel like I don't know what to do, man. I can't do this. I can't do that. And they let the money beat them up. Right. And so I tell my money what to do and I beat my money up. You're going to do this, 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 this. And if I want to change something and make it a little bigger here and there or make my miscellaneous a little bigger or make my food a little bit, I do that. But it also forces me to think and organize my month in terms of cash, right? In terms of money. So it forces me 
to be organized. It gives me a sense of control and power. And guess what? It helps me understand what comes in and what goes out. What goes out. So, so would you ever invest in a business that didn't know what came in and what go out? You would look at that business like, what y'all doing? I mean, y'all got to be organized, right? So I think of my household like a business. I got to be organized. I got to gotta know exactly what comes in. And then guess what? I got to know exactly what goes out because that's going to help me figure out the cushion I have that I'm going to invest in, invest with, or the cushion I have to get one of my grandkids uh, a gift for their birthday, right? I just had one, uh, Kobe, uh, had a four had a four year birthday. I have a son, a grandson named Kobe LeBron, by the way. Really? <laughs> my son named him Kobe oh, okay. named LeBron. I know, call me weird. But Kobe's fourth <laughs> birthday was just uh, Friday. So if I have a budget, now I know what I can spend for my man on his on his birthday, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's what that's all about. That was a habit, okay? So another habit, and I developed that habit back in the early 90s. Another habit is saying, okay, I need to focus on um, assets that appreciate. I need to focus around assets that appreciate. For the last 10, 15, 10 or 12 years or so, I've been figuring my net worth at least twice a year. Even when my net worth was $70,000, I was figuring it out twice a year. Okay. And I always said, I'm going to stop adding to the liability side and start building up the asset side. And that's been a focus. Anything you focus on grows, right? Whatever you focus on grows. So if I'm focused on my net worth, my net worth is growing because I'm focused on appreciating assets and getting rid of depreciating assets that are going down in value. I don't want to make monthly payments on that. In 2010, I think 2010 or 11 is when I sent off my last car payment. So for the last 12 or 13, 12 years or so, 11, 12 years, I haven't had a car payment. If I need to go, if I have a car and I know you guys are maybe in New York, so you guys don't drive, but you know, out here, you got to have cars, right? We got to get around mm-hmm. train. Don't come everywhere um, yeah. or, or the bus or whatever it is. So, so, but I said, I'm going to buy my cars cash. Okay. So I bought my cars cash. Um, some other habits is not taking on new debt. Unless, mm-hmm. that, unless that new debt is an appreciating asset. Okay. So if that new debt, because in 2004 and five, I was buying some rental houses. If that new debt is appreciating asset like real estate, I'm cool with it. Right. Because I know in five or 10 years, it'll be worth more that adds to my asset side of the equation. Right. But if it's a depreciating depreciating asset, I'm not with it. I also stopped worrying about keeping up with the Joneses. That was very unimportant. Um, it wasn't important when I was a kid, and it wasn't important when I was older. Um, never owned a pair of Air Jordans. Uh, never owned a jersey uh, that says, you know, uh, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles on it, where I spent eighty-five dollars on a jersey. You know, mm-hmm. this hat you're looking at right here—it's a hat, but it was a gift. Somebody gave this to me, matter of fact. So I just, I I don't spend a lot of money on things like clothes and, you know, trying to look good, trying to look fly, have the freshest new this, the freshest new that. I'm not into that type of stuff. It's just not the type of person I am. And so I said, okay, that's a habit. And that that, that habit worked out well for me because I didn't have to have all the latest gadgets and things like that. So, um, man, I did a lot of stuff, a lot of habits. Um, Also along the way, I also tried to figure out how can I make some side money? Mm. So some side income, because when I started teaching school back in 92, I was making $20,000 a year. When I was 30 years old, I was making uh, $30,000 a year. 
When I first went to the government in 2002, I was making $32,000 a year. So, you know, I'm 32 years old, not making much money. You know what I'm saying? How can I make have some side uh, hustles and side gigs? But usually that ended up being like a, like a, like I was a shoe salesman at Dillard's for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I worked at Circuit City. You guys remember Circuit City? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, was had, I think we had like, what, maybe four of them in the city, guys? Yeah. And they all just... Went away. They all just disappeared <laughs> out of nowhere. Like online, it was like, like I don't want to. They want service with Best Buy online or something like that. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. I, I was a salesman at Circuit City, meaning I was I was straight commission, but I did it on the side when I was teaching school. Two thousand, two thousand one. That was when I was at Dillard's. Um, I've worked at Eddie Bauer on the side. I worked at Home Depot on the side. I'm in my thirties doing these side jobs, right, to make a little extra money to make ends meet. Then in 2012, my daughter was about to go to college. I had no money for college. Okay, we had no money. I told and I told my kids early when they were in middle school, you either gonna get get scholarships, you can go to community college. Right. All right. So by the time my daughter in 2012, she was in high school, she went out and got a bunch of scholarships, you know, academic. And I started an eBay business in 2013. I started on Amazon and eBay. I said, let me, I said, I'm tired of sitting at Home Depot and Eddie Bauer. What can I do on my own? I started looking at YouTube videos and this is 2012. Looking at YouTube videos. I'm going to sell on Amazon. So I got an Amazon account. I was rolling on Amazon. I, I, I bought me some books because back then Amazon was big on books, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't, yeah. You couldn't buy like, you know, headsets and stuff so much, but you could, but that wasn't the big thing. So I bought some books and I put them on Amazon. At the same time, I said, let me jump on eBay, too, and see which one which one's better. And lo and behold, my stuff on Amazon sat for a while. My stuff on eBay, eBay was flying off the shelf. Mm-hmm. I had about 30 items. Then I bought some shoes. And these shoes, I bought them for like $4 or something at a Goodwill. Took them home, kind of, you know, took a few pictures of them, put them on there. They sold for like 40 bucks. Like, what? Oh, my yeah. goodness, 40 bucks. That's a nice little margin, right? Mm-hmm. Four bucks, yeah. 40 so then I said, okay, uh-huh. shoes. So I end up selling shoes on eBay from about 2013, mid 2013, several months after I started until about 2019, real strong, helped pay my daughter's way through college. Wow. She got, she went through college debt free. I sold over a hundred thousand dollars on eBay. I sold over a hundred thousand dollars in the course of just doing it, you know, five or five or six uh, hours a week. Wasn't much going out sourcing taking some shoes, shining them, getting them ready, boom, cleaning them up. And it wasn't sneakers, right? It wasn't. Remember I said I worked at Dillard's. I was a shoe guy at Dillard's. Mm-hmm. I was a shoe guy. So I knew how to sell shoes. I knew what to look for. So I, I used to go to Goodwill's, estate sales, garage sales, pick up shoes for 2 3 $5. And lo and behold, turn around, get them together, sell them for $30, $40, $50, $60, $80, $100. So a couple pair for three or $400. Um so I would just do that. So I did that to help pay my daughter's way through college. And she went through college debt free. Wow. Uh, one That's of my amazing. So, so I did that and I finally got a little, you know, eBay can be kind of labor intensive because I had some, you know, I had like three or 400 items out there and I, I kept all my, I didn't do uh, drop shipping or anything. So I kept all my inventory here at home. Mm-hmm. And so uh, lo and behold, man, I did that for a while. Because I believe that I could. Okay, so this is one underlying thing that you guys got to remember. And this is this is the most underlying and probably the most important thing um, that I'm going to say is this. Ever since I was younger, I always believed that I could do anything I wanted to do. 
I could I could lock down Michael Jordan on the basketball court if I had to. And I really believe that, right? I still believe that I probably could maybe lock him down right now. I'm not sure. Well, well maybe right now. now he's no good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I can lock down Terrence Mann, though. But it's, it's, it's the most important thing is this. I believed, even when I was making bad grades in high school and 8, 17, 18, 19 years old and making bad grades in, in community college, I always believed that I could do better. I could do whatever I put my mind to. That was a strong belief of mine since I was a little child, right? Mm -hmm. So that belief, this is why I say when you work with young people or kids, you always need to tie their successes to their efforts and never tie their successes to who they are in their, you know, their, their abilities. Okay. If you lock them down and, and you say you're okay, let's say it another way. If you tell a child you're, you're successful because of your abilities or you're not successful because of your abilities, then why would they even try? They don't have the ability, so they'd never try. But if right. you lock their successes or their lack of success to effort, you've just opened up a whole world to them because you, what you've done is you said, you can do anything you wanna do if you put your mind to it. Now that makes, that opens the whole world to them because now they but they understand that if I just really focus in on something, I can achieve something. Oh, so this, so this, the reason I always say that is because that's what propelled me to be able to do and achieve whatever I want to do and achieve in life. Even, even when I was 19 years old, coming off a 1.75 GPA at the community college, I turned that around because I believed I could. If I didn't believe I could, I'd never try. So it's important that you tie success to effort as opposed to success to ability or innate ability. Right. Because then, because if you do that, they say, I can't do it. I failed. I'm no good. I can't. Now that now they won't try. There's no success that comes unless you believe you can do it. So I'm a big believer in believing. And that's what I've done all of my life. When I started the eBay business, I said, I believe I can do this. Boom. Let me go out here. I had some months where I sold, you know, three thousand dollars work, you know, thirty five hundred dollars worth. Um, hey, we don't have no money for your college, but I think we can do something about that. Um, I don't have any money right now. It's two thousand. I have a negative thirty thousand dollar net worth. But I believe that someday I'm going to be a millionaire. Boom. So. All the, so it starts with belief, you know, having the, the, the idea that it's achievable and that you can achieve because otherwise, why try? That's a, so that's so you, you asked for a few uh, things, man, and I think that's a few things that propelled me to get to where I am. You know, um, nothing fancy. It's not going to win me a lot of, uh, you know, I'm not going to get a lot of, uh, probably won't get a lot of followers and things like that. But, you know, it's just who I am and I can only be who I am. Right. I try to I try to stick with what I'm good at and what I know um, and what's genuine to me. And so those are the types of principles that have propelled me. And I try to share and help other people. Uh, but you got to believe first. Belief is huge. So. I, I didn't mean, man. I, I didn't mean to make y'all speeches. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no that's that's a good thing. It's the coach, it's the coach in you. I got it. It's the I'm, coach in you. I'm I got all it for it the whole time. I am all for it. I love it. Um, when did you start? When did you make the shift into real estate, and how did real estate propel you into more uh, financial literacy and investment schemes and things like that? 1999, man, I started watching Je uh, Carlton Sheets. You ever heard of him? Nope. No. no. Carlton Sheets. He was the guru of late night infomercial. No money down. Get rich in, you know, in real estate. No money down. 1998, 99. I started watching Carlton Sheets. 
uh, infomercials. I sent off and got his package of information, right? Cassettes, booklets. I was rolling, right? I said, man, I want to learn this real estate thing. I think that's going to be the thing I could do. Boom, 1999. You know, I'm working part-time at Circuit City, teaching school, uh, coaching, right? Uh, assistant JV varsity boys coach. Um, but I started learning and I sat behind a guy, I met a guy, I met a handyman. His name was Wes. And uh, Wes was a guy who, you know, did some renovations on houses. I said, Wes, can I, can I trail you? Can I just work with you and learn? Cause I don't know much about, I don't know about, right. I lived in apartments all my life. Right. I li- and my mother moved a whole lot. So by the time I was in, you know, 30 years old, I had lived in probably, I had like 20, 18, 19, 20 addresses in my life. Cause my mom moved all the time. She wow. moved everywhere. So I moved a lot and I didn't know much about, I didn't know that electricity was necessarily behind the drywall. Right. I didn't really understand. I didn't know what it, what was in, above the ceiling necessarily. So I had to learn all these things. Right. I was kind of, I was straight city. I was straight city. Right. With no, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I say, no father around anything like that. So um, I trailed this dude. I said, don't pay me any money. I just want to learn. So for about three or four months, I trailed him. And I learned, you know, a little bit about electricity, how to put up, how to use a fulcrum to put up a ceiling, um, how to cut drywall, how to, uh, oh, that's what, that's what's underneath the carpet. Oh, so you got wood underneath the carpet. And then you also have, uh, uh, you know, another layer uh, underneath. And then you got to, okay, so I had to learn all these things and I did it because I wanted to know it because I knew that at some time I will, I will own some real estate of my own. So I got to learn. So 2000, 2000, I got married. And my wife's mom uh, gifted us. I say gifted us because she get, uh, we assumed the loan on her home. Uh, they were something called assumption loans that were around. I don't think they're around too much anymore, but that's where the U.S. You, yeah, you just so. assume a loan and they don't check your background, your credit, none of that stuff. You just assume them, take over a loan. And so we took over the loan on that house. And that same year also, I went out and bought my first rental house from a real estate agent. He financed it for me because I was into it, right? I was learning from my man, Wes. I had my Carlton Sheet stuff. I was hyped. I was going to be a millionaire by the time, you know, in two years, I was going to be a millionaire, right? So lo and behold, man, that's what that's what really propelled me into the real estate game is back then. And then over the next three or four years, I bought six or seven properties. And I owned six or seven, I owned six properties for about nine or 10 years or so. And I got, I lost some of them in the, in the, in the big deal of uh, 2010, 2011, around that time, I lost a few of them Mm -hmm. because I bought them wrong. Okay. I bought them wrong. And so that, because I bought them wrong, I lost them. And uh, cause I had no money. Right. Um, So lo and behold, man, that kind of is what propelled me into it. And um, I didn't reach all my goals in real estate. But to this day, I still own two properties. I still manage. I also own a P, uh, uh, open lot as well. So I own some land too. But I own a couple of rentals, and I've really only dealt with those couple of rentals for the last several years. So, um, but it's been great. That's why I talk about real estate on my on my YouTube channel because you know anybody can get into real estate. Okay, it's open for everybody, mm-hmm. and I believe that it's a big piece. It's you know it's half of my network. But it's a big piece to growing your money because real estate over the long run, it goes up in value. Right. Yeah. Over the long mm-hmm. run. You know, don't stop yeah. tripping about the interest rates is this and the interest rates is that. Look, man, in 10 years, ain't nobody going to be tripping on what the interest rate was in 2022. Right. 
But but if you buy a house, whether you get that house with a 10% interest rate or a 1% interest rate, in 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, that house is going to go up in value. You might refinance for a better rate by then, but who knows? You're sitting on a piece of equity. Right. So 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 my thing is uh, so you asked the question. I went off on a tangent, but that's that kind of helped me into real <laughs> estate, man. When I again, I'm just the type of guy, man, to say, you know, whatever's out there for for you, I can have it, too, if I really want it. So let me go get it. So I'll give you another example. This summer, I played basketball full court. I, I tore my Achilles when I was 37 years old. Right. Oh, man. Rip my Achilles in half. I'm playing. I say, I'm and I'm balling. I, I was bouncy that day too. I was bouncy. I mean, you know when you ever play, you're just feeling good. Dude runs behind yeah. me. I thought he kicked me in the back of my leg. Lo and behold, I limp over oh. to the side, try to tighten up my shoe. You know how to do it when you hurt something. You try to tighten your shoe. When you think, yeah, you know, when you think it's like an ankle or anything like that. Try to go back out there, and my my foot was like spaghetti. It was just hanging there. Oh. I had no control over it in my brain. I couldn't make my make my bottom of my foot move. So I slept mm-hmm. on it. Next day, I went to the to the there. They told me I had tore my Achilles. So that was in, at the age of thirty-seven. Recovered a year later. I'm still playing ball two times a week until I'm forty-nine years old. And pandemic, we kind of stopped playing. So this summer in June, I had uh, actually May. I had arthroscopic arthroscopic knee surgery. Arthroscopic, yeah. Arthroscopic. They mm-hmm. went in there, cleaned some stuff out. Said you you know you almost got bone on bone in one of your knees. So guess what I did? Ooh. I said, you know what? I'm a, I'm, I need to get my cardio from somewhere. I'm a workout guy, right? So I got to get my cardio. So I started swimming. Hadn't, wow. been, in the, hadn't okay. been in the pool in 12 years. And uh, I didn't learn to swim until I was 30. I, I learned when my kids learned. But I couldn't swim at all, really. So I took some lessons for three or four days. But I just believed I can do it, you know? And so now I swim every other day. I'm doing laps in the pool, in the lap pool. I couldn't go down there in June. I couldn't mm-hmm. go one length without stopping and catching my breath. I was tired, didn't know what I'm doing. But now I'm doing laps. I'm getting good cardio, lungs getting better. And I say that to say this. I just believe I can do whatever I put my mind to do. So if if I believe, hey, I'm not a swimmer. I don't know much about swimming. I ain't been in the pool in 12, 13 years. I hate getting in the pool. But I need to get some cardio somewhere and I can't run. I can't play ball, right? So I got to get cardio because I, I want to stay in shape. So I started swimming. In other words, I just do whatever I believe I want to do. And I feel like I can. I feel like I can do pretty much whatever I think I put my mind to. And I just go out and do it. I don't I don't give in to fear. Right. Okay. I don't I don't I don't worry about uh, failing. Okay. When I started buying houses, um, I got there's seven people in my family, mother, father, mother, father, five kids. I'm the youngest of five. Right. Uh huh. Only one of us has ever owned a home besides me to this day. I have a yeah. sister who bought a house back in the 90s, and she, she's a, a homeowner. All, all, my, my dad passed away in the 90s, but all the nobody else owns a home. So, and I didn't come from a family of homeowners and, you know, middle class people where everybody's, I came from the inner city with nothing around people that don't didn't have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So for me to actually believe that I can own a home in 1999 was beyond the scope of anybody's imagination, anybody in my circle's imagination. So, so I just started, but I just, I just, and I, I just didn't give in to the fear that said, "Oh man, you can't do that. <laughs> you from Kansas City, y'all? You from the Bronx or whatever? Ain't nobody ever owned something." I just don't give in to fear 
that stops me. I go past fear and I do things anyway. When I first jumped in that pool in June, I went in the deep end, man, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I might drown. I don't know if I can come up. I don't know what I'm, but I just did it anyway, right? right? I just achieved and and went for it. And everything is hard at first. It was very, very difficult. This podcast you guys are doing, it's hard right now, right? I won't say it's hard, but it's it's difficult, right? There's, it is. You're <laughs> thinking like, man, I'm trying to become, you know, earn my leisure. And we sitting up here barely making it. But listen, mm-hmm. everything is hard at first, right? But you just gotta you just gotta go past fear, take that chance, take that leap. And that's what I've always done in every endeavor. You know, who said I could sell hundred thousand dollars worth of eBay? Right? <laughs> I don't know nobody selling eBay in 2013 or 14. You know, who said I could put my daughter through private high school and put my other daughter through college um, uh, with no debt? Now I didn't want her to have debt because we had student loan debt that lingers. We still with lingered around. And so, I, you know, it's just getting past the fear. That's another habit that moved me, you know, to kind of answer your question from earlier. So, man, I, you got you guys got me getting long winded up here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's a lot of information. Good, good content. It's really yeah. good content. Um, it's a lot of information. I do want to say this, too. Um, I have never been a big credit, a big credit guy. Okay. Mm, okay. I didn't come from negative thirty thousand dollars to where I am today with credit cards or with business credit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or things like that. Now, did I get loans on my rental properties? Yes. I bought those with yes. loans and so forth. But again, those are assets that are growing. Exactly. So I was cool with that. But I was never I didn't mm-hmm. have a big line of credit. Um, I didn't have go out and get business credit. You know, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, man. Of course, I've been honest, but I'm going to be transparent. I don't even know what my credit score is. I haven't checked my credit since 2014 when I refinanced this property I'm sitting in. I don't know know what my credit is. I don't care what my credit is because I don't use credit. Okay. I only use credit if I'm buying something large like a home. Mm. Right. So I haven't refinanced refinanced this property since 2014. My credit score might be 850 or it might be 650. I don't know. I don't use, I don't even use a credit card. So, so I, I share that with you guys to say that you ain't gotta, you ain't gotta follow the conventional ways of building wealth like everybody else. Cause you're going to hear this all the time, man, just use your credit then put your kids on your credit card. And then you take your credit and you flip this and you pay it off. It. I didn't do none of that. I, that wasn't my formula. Now I'm not mad at people that do that. But it just wasn't something I do. So on my on my YouTube channel, I got over 200 something videos. You'll never see a video about how I use credit uh, credit cards because I just don't use them. And I don't want to talk about something that I haven't done myself. Now that you mention it, I don't think I have seen Check a credit it. card video on any of your on your channel. I don't think I've seen it near one. No, I don't even I don't even I mean, mention he, it he, because he, it just doesn't. I mean, if he don't, he don't know it. He don't want yeah, to talk I'm about not it. Get it's into something and push something I, I don't know anything about because that would be disingenuous, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I know that I don't know if that's uh, what everybody does on the internet, but I only want to talk. I can only talk about and teach about and help people with things that I've done. So if if you're looking for credit card arbitrage, <laughs> look elsewhere. It's not something I do. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's that's been sort of what I've did and some of the things that I've used over the years, man. I just in about 2017, Smart Money Bro came about. I'm going to give you this story, too. Um, I, w- I said, you know what? I do a lot of different things. How can I help people? 
So I was sitting with my buddy in his office and I said, man, what do you think I should do? Um, and he said, well, what is all your things around? What is it all centered around? Real estate, growing your net worth, eBay business. It's all around money, right? So he said, man, maybe you ought to go with, you know, I said, maybe smart money. That sounds pretty cheesy. Smart money, bro. He said, nah, you probably don't want to use bro because then you pigeonhole yourself to, to only black people or, you you know, only a certain genre. And I say, well, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I don't mind that. You know, I'm not trying to cater to a certain group. So that's why I went ahead and stayed with smart money, brother. Then it was, <laughs> not bro, to shorten it out. Uh, because everything I do kind of falls under that umbrella of growing money, mm-hmm. whether it's side gigs, eBay or whatever whether it's uh, building your net worth, managing your money, doing budgets, uh, real estate, it all falls under under growing your personal finance um, the old fashioned way. So that's kind of how the smart money bro name came about itself. So uh, quick story on that. But um, at least at least you at least you took someone's opinion into the name. So I'm just saying. I'm petty. No, you know me too well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be petty. That's what people come for. <laughs> yeah, I always listen to people that I trust and believe in. Oh man, okay, I, I added to the fire. No, no, <laughs> no must, be nice. must be nice. Listen, I take everyone's advice here. I just sometimes I just disagree. That's all. It's okay to disagree. No, 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 no. He takes someone's advice more than others. I'm petty. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I understand what you're saying. That's no, great. It's great. He listens. <laughs> um, okay, so now now we're going to get into the part where I really want you to put your professor cap on because now we're going to hit you with some, some really deep financial questions. I know the other two brothers got some real personal questions and real financial literacy questions that they want to hit you with. So I'm going to let them go and, you know, Ask their questions. No. Honestly, what? So, uh, uh, yeah, I'll no, go like, first, Jay. I'm sorry, I have to cut you off. Just think about it, listening to your whole story when it came to real estate. And I remember when we first started talking, and you was like, "You would have been in this if it was if the market was this way. You would have had seven figures." Mm-hmm. And the mar- speak and the market sense. So, are there any certain things that you trust that you invest in the most? You're like, this has been like the most trusted one when it comes to your assets. Like, what are the most trusted ones that you've seen? You're like I invest in these the most. Okay, so let me let me let me back up a little bit. One thing I've done for years and years is I've always contributed to whatever my job has. Okay, in terms of a four hundred one k or ESP or something like that, mm-hmm. and I always have examined where they invest their money. I didn't just throw it at the at the four hundred one k or whatever and say, oh, okay, I'm just going to trust whatever they say. I always go in there because sometimes, many times in those 401ks or 403bs or TSPs, you have options, right? So one of the things that I've done over the years, I've been blessed enough to be able to work for the federal government, which has a thrift savings plan or a TSP, which is just like a 401k, which is for profit, or 403b, which is non-for-profit, right? Not-for-profits have a 403b. Mm -hmm. So I've always invested there, okay, because it's been fairly safe. The $10,000 that I told you about earlier that I brought over to um, to the federal government in I'm 2002, teaching. I haven't touched it. Okay, Damn. I haven't touched it at all. I haven't got a, got a loan on it. haven't withdrew any money out of it. As far as I know, that $10,000, and I just checked my TSP account, so that, that $10,000 is still in there growing. 
it's been growing for the last 30 years, right? Since, well, 28, 28 years, since 1994, when it first started, when I first began, became a teacher. Okay. So the first thing that I say I trust in when it comes time comes to investments is not just 401ks, but make sure you do your research to understand what that company is investing in, in that 401k. That's, that's pretty important because if you don't like what they're investing in, still get their match. Maybe they got a 3% match at your job, still get that match, but then take the rest that you want to invest, say in the market and go and, and do your own investing. Now, the other thing is I'm not a big fan of individual stocks. Okay. Now I, I don't have a problem with them, but I'm saying that sometimes, unless you have enough of them, you're not spreading your risk around enough. Okay. If you only have three, you know, you, Amazon, Alphabet, and, you know, uh, Procter & Gamble, yeah, yeah. Apple, then that's not enough, right? If, you, if you're going to have individual stocks, go ahead and make sure you got 20, 30, 50, 75 individual stocks. So you spread your risk out a little bit, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's really important. So, but for that reason, I'm more of a fan. I'm more of a fan of index funds, okay? I'm a big index fund guy. I'm not a huge mutual fund guy because you're paying fees. And I'm speaking in generalities here. Typically, you're going to pay more fees on a mutual fund than you pay on an index fund. An index just follows a certain sector of the market. It's non-managed. Uh. A mutual fund is managed. So guess what a mutual fund comes with? Fees to pay the managers, right? Mm-hmm. So so I'm not a big fan of mutual funds. I'm not a big fan of, of uh, I'm not the biggest fan of stocks, individual stocks. I like index funds. Okay. I like, because it's very simple. I don't want to sit there and look at charts on six different monitors every day. Okay. On my computer screens. Right. I don't want to do that. So I don't want to look at individual stocks. I like to set it and forget it. That's me personally, just my opinion. And therefore index funds, because they have a lower fee, lower fees is wonderful. And so the other place is obviously real estate. And we talked about that a lot. So real estate is uh, super safe, man. Uh, and, and I know you can have an issue like 2008 and 2009, right? Where all of a sudden, even you'll see it right now, you see home prices that were a little bit high. They're starting to go down a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a buy mm-hmm. and hold guy, right? So if I buy a piece of real estate and I haven't bought a piece of real estate in, in a, a number of years, but when I do buy real estate again in three or four years, um, I, buy it, I buy it to hold. I don't buy it to flip. Um, I don't buy it. I buy it to keep it. And if you keep real estate, you're going to be fine. It's a great investment. If you decide to keep real estate 5, 10, 15, 20 years out, I don't care what interest rate you buy it at. It's a pretty good investment. You'll be fine. So uh, real estate and index funds, those are the big ones for me that I really like the most. Real estate and index funds. Gotcha. You took took your notes? You good? I got my notes. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Vanguard, man. Vanguard is, man, the guy that invented Vanguard is Jack Bogle. He just died in his 90s a couple years ago. But he's, he didn't invent. He didn't. He didn't really invent index funds, but he was the first to package them up in one company. That company is Vanguard. Uh, good company, solid. A lot of a lot of millionaires and billionaires have money in, in Vanguard. So I like Fidelity too. But you know, there's all type of places to invest your money. Um, I don't do a lot of app investing, right? I'm not a Robinhood guy and those type mm-hmm. of guys. I like really, really, really established um, investment houses, right? Uh, Merrill, Merrill Lynch, you know, uh, you know, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard. I like really, really stable ones that have been around a long time. I don't want to put uh, $100,000 in, in, in a stockpile. 
I'm just not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> I think that, you know, a lot of people use the these, like, investment apps. Like, for example, I've been just about on every one of them. I was on Stash. I was on Acorns. I was on, um, I was on Robinhood for a while. I think the longest one I was with Robinhood. Now I'm on Public because Public seems like they just have, like, they, they they seem more in tune with the user as opposed to the, all the other ones. I think because it just came out, so they got you know a little bit of ahead of the game to see where, where the other ones kind of messed up. Right. But public seems like it has like more personalized, but it, like you say, it has more individual stocks. So I'm trying to get into the index part and the ETF part, right. where you know that's where I'm trying to put my money at now. So I see where, but I see where you're coming from because Charles Schwab. Even MetLife or the other ones that you mentioned, they they you know they those are some big names. They've been around a long time. Listen, mm-hmm. Fidelity Fidelity has a great app that I've heard some good things about. If you're thinking about that, but I'm just I'm a I'm a I'm an old school dude, man. I'm, I'm not you know so I, as an old school dude, um, man. I just I just started doing online banking like a year and a half ago, man. So I'm old I'm old school. So I'm a little I won't say leery, but I don't really like to get too much into the to the investment apps. You know, if I got a lot of money, man, I think I want to put that money with somewhere, you know, where it's been the company's been around a long time. But that's just me being old school, being an old fogey, I guess. But um, no wrong with that. Yeah. So ETFs are cool, too, man. I like those as well. ETFs and index funds and things like that. Those are great, man. Can't be an old fogey at the way it just works. There's a difference. (laughs) People just like, I know there's always a good way to look for new stuff, but if some things work, there's a difference. It's not. There's nothing to do yeah. about it. Say so you have more questions. Oh no, I want producer okay. Jay to get one. Um. So, uh, obviously, a lot of your audience who come and seek your information, they're probably already in debt and they're looking for ways to get out of it or to manage it better. Um. When you're in serious debt, what would be like? What would you say are your best options Oof. for? debt that can't be paid off so easily based on like their income or whatever? Good question. So the first thing is this, when you have debt, you've got to figure a way, number one, you've got to figure a way to, to, to somehow get an emergency fund. Okay. This is why I say that if you, if you're in a lot of debt and you have no emergency money, what are you probably going to end up doing? Going Something go wrong. What's going to happen? You're going more debt. Mm -hmm. Right. right? So the way to get kind of get off that hamster wheel first and foremost is to go ahead and try to save up some money for an emergency fund. So when the washer and dryer goes out, you got some cash, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to go and and charge it on your credit card, right? Or you know when a tire the tire busts on it or it's winter and it starts snowing, you say, man, I've been needing two front tires for two years. You know, you have some money to go out and get your front tires, and you don't have to go into debt. Right. Because if you're in debt, you got to stop the cycle of debt. Right. Right. How do you stop the cycle of debt? Make sure you have some money to the side in case something goes wrong. I always suggest people just do something as simple as just every time you get a check, just drop one hundred dollars into an emergency fund. Just drop one hundred dollars. Right. One hundred dollars over. That's two hundred dollars a month. That's twenty four hundred dollars a year. If you don't really touch it, you have no big emergencies. That's almost five grand in two years. All you was doing is dropping one hundred dollars in there. Right. That's 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 lunch. Six or seven times at a month, plus a Starbucks a few times a month, and one night out. That's a hundred bucks every two weeks. Ends up being about in, ends up literally being literally five, almost five thousand dollars in two years. And you can you can take care of almost any emergency you come up with with five grand, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you do that, 
Now you can begin to say, how am I going to attack my debt? Right. But if you don't even have an emergency fund and you're trying to attack debt or if you're trying to start a business and you're trying and you and you have a bunch of debt. So I always say, you know, first thing, make sure you have an emergency fund. First things first. But secondly, in terms of looking at your debt, you have to have to come up with a plan. And one of the plans and I'm a Dave Ramsey guy. I used to listen to Dave Ramsey a lot. I don't listen to him too much anymore. But um because I don't believe everything he says. I believe some things he says. But one of the things I do like is the get out of debt. You know, debt snowball, debt avalanche, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. you got to figure out a plan to roll up these debts. Because these debts, debts are just sitting on which side of the balance, of the, uh, of the, uh, the net worth equation. Assets or liabilities. Debts are sitting over here on the liabilities, right? Mm-hmm. The more debt you have, the, the lower your net worth is going to be. Or the more assets you got to build up to offset this, 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 these liabilities, this debt. So you want to figure a plan to pay the debt off as soon as you can. Now, when I say debt, I'm talking about at least the debt that is not appreciating, right? I'm not saying you got to pay off your your home necessarily, right? right? But I'm saying if you got the credit card debt, you got student loan debt, get a plan, try to pay it off as soon as possible. Um, I like, I like the debt snowball. I mean, we were using that. I didn't even call it that snow snowball. We called it something. You you probably get guys have probably never heard of Crown Ministries, have you? No. It sounds familiar. Yep. Back it in the thousands, Crown Ministry was sort of the precursor to what Dave Ramsey does, right? But we were trying to we were using a debt roll up. We called it a debt roll up back then, and um, it's just a way of listing all of your debts. You know, some people like to do it smallest interest rate to largest. I like to do it smallest debt to largest. Mm-hmm. And just you take a little bit of money, extra money you have. That's why you got to do a budget. So you have some money between your income and expenses. Take that extra money, put it towards your first debt. Then take all that money, put it towards your second debt. All that money roll up, you know. So you got to come up with a plan to attack your debt at some point. Okay, so that I hope that kind of hit on your uh, a couple things to do in terms of your questions, right? Your question. Yes. Emergency fund. A plan to attack, attack the debt, perhaps a debt roll up or a, a debt snowball plan to do it. But it's very doable. I have a YouTube video that shows you can just take a, what, four or $500 a month, pay off $68,000 in four years with the debt roll up. If you just, and I, I got a whole, I, I got examples and everything in that video, but it's just showing you that it's not impossible, right? You can do it. Quick story about me. Even today with the net worth that I have, I have nine thousand dollars worth of debt still hanging around and you're saying man, why you don't get rid of nine thousand because i had a debt roll-up plan and i'm just now finishing it up right um and so in the next few months two or three months we're going to be totally done with but i had a, a surprise too uh from the irs that gave me a couple of thousand but otherwise um you know so that that's that's my key is is get a plan nice so uh, okay, Jeremy, nice. you got any more? <laughs> uh, honestly, a lot of his a lot of his uh, things answered a lot of the questions I might have had in the background, other than just asking him about himself. Okay. I have one more. Um, so obviously, you've gotten into like you've used loans to uh, invest and and uh, get uh, real estate or whatever whatever it is you need. Um, so for people who are looking into getting into like long-term loans, what are some key information points that you would say to look out for, for anybody getting into it? When you say long-term loans, you mean like real estate? Real estate or even like a car loan or anything like that, mortgage. 
um, just anything that's that seems a lot for people. Okay, Carlone, don't do it. <laughs> that was good, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Carlone, don't do it. Carlone, cars go down in value. That, that's they depreciate. Do what you can to save up money. Now, if you think you're going to need a car in nine, ten months, do what you can to save up that money. Try to get the car, and you don't have to get the fanciest car. Try to get a car that 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 you can pay cash for, right? right. Um, and if you and okay, this is this. I wrote a whole book about. I don't. I didn't tell you guys that, but I got two books on Amazon. Oh, wow. One book. One book on Amazon is how to buy a good used car. Okay, mm-hmm. and I decided to write that book because my niece was looking for a car. Her and her husband was looking for a car a couple of years ago. And I said, well, just check some things out on the Internet. It was nothing on the Internet to learn how to buy a used car. So I said, let me write a book about it. So I got 70 something tips in that book about things you need to be looking looking for. I mean, everything from how, you know the paint, the scratches, how it sounds, everything. Mm. And um, so I'm not a big fan of buying cars with 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 debt. OK, if you can try to avoid it and if you can't try to pay off that loan as soon as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Try to try to come with five grand down and buy you a 10 or 12, 15 thousand dollar car and pay that off in a matter of months as quick as possible or, you know, eight, nine, ten months. But in terms of, of real estate um, and, and other things, you know, in terms of a loan, it's always the rate and the term. OK, the rate and the term It's those. Two. And then when I say term, I mean the length. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, is it, uh-huh. you know, is it a. The lower the rate, obviously, uh, the better. Um, but also, how long is how long is it for? Now, I've had this debate with a lot of people: Should I buy get a fifteen year mortgage on a property or a thirty year mortgage on a property? Mm-hmm. Right? You've heard that debate, right? Mm-hmm. I have. And people even nowadays they have forty year mortgages, right? Yeah. Which you could basically sign your life away, right? Forty year mortgage. <laughs> um, I'm always a big proponent, obviously, because I'm not a debt guy. I'm trying to get the lowest term the least amount of length of time as possible because, you know, it's sure you pay a little more up front right now. Right. Um, let me give, let me, I'll just give you a real example. In 2005, I bought my house. I bought it on the 80, 20 loan, which was stupid, but I had no money. I was, you know, I didn't have no money. Mm-hmm. 80, 20 loan meant that 80% was the, the finance principal. The other 20% was kind of like a HELOC at a 9% interest for 20% of the loan. Mm-hmm. Point being is that I stayed in that stupid loan until 2014. Now, I was in that loan until 2014. I bought the house for 187000 By the time nine years later came around in 2014, I still owed 178000 on the property. So I only paid it down $9,000. Is that 9000 Yeah, about $9,000 over the course of nine years. Damn. Now... Because, because you're not paying nothing on the principal. Right. You're just paying like you know just $10 pay a month on the principal. Yeah. So now, uh-huh. in 2014, the last time I checked my credit that I told you guys about, I switched that over to a 15-year mortgage. Now I've paid the house off in the last um, eight years from $178,000 to about $104,000. Oh. So in eight years, I lopped off $74,000, whereas in nine years, I lopped off about $9,000. Uh-huh. Which one's better? To me, in my mind, my simple, logical mind, I, I, if, if you're getting a house, a home loan today, and you got to pay an extra $300 a month, then you want to get the 15-year mortgage because what if you want to move in four mm-hmm. or five years? Mm-hmm. Now you have a whole lot more equity because you paid a lot more of the principal off up front. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? 
And what if you don't want to move and you say, you know what, I want to stay in that 15 year more. I'm going to stay in this home for the next 20 years. Well, in 15 years, it's paid off. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed, so if I, if my home right now was to owe about 104,000 on, it would be paid off. It would have been paid off in 2020 had I got a 15 year mortgage. But since we don't know what the future holds, why not pay as much as you can up front? Now, some people hate that advice because they say, Get a 30-year mortgage. You never know what's going to happen in your situation. You can always pay extra to pay it off quicker. And that's cool, too. It's really a matter of preference. Um, but I like to tell people to bite the bullet and pay it off quicker because you may want to move in a few years and you have more equity. So I hope that was a real-life example. Again, I try to be as tra transparent as I can because I'm living all this stuff I'm talking to you guys about. Right. And so I have examples of this stuff uh, throughout my uh my own personal situation. So anytime you see me in the blackout coalition group on Facebook mm -hmm. or any other group or on YouTube in my channel, I'm talking about things that I've experienced and I know, and that way I'm not just, you know, giving you some fluff or trying to, you know, BS <laughs> my way through, through, through whatever I'm, I'm doing. And um, so I try to use real examples, but that's an example of, you know, kind of what I think in terms of loans and what you should look for the term, the interest rate and the terms. All right. Okay. Those are the most important things. Good to know. All right. So to close this out, I want you to uh, define these three financial terms for us that I think uh, people really either don't understand and don't have a concept of, but affects us every single day. Mm -hmm. So the first one I want you to define um, is net worth you talked about your net worth uh you talked about how you were you had a negative net worth and i bet you right now a lot of us don't know what our net worth is so can you actually tell us what our net worth is i mean what a net worth is net worth is just assets minus liabilities what you own minus what you owe okay so if you and anybody can figure this it'd take you about five minutes to sit this sit down and do this right or less than that get out a piece of paper Put a line straight down the middle of the paper, put assets at the top on left side, put liabilities at the top on the right side. What do you own? Put it on the left side. Okay, so if you own a home, let's say you own a home and the home is worth $200,000, right? Modest home. Let's say you own a car, the car is worth $30,000 or say, let's say $20,000. That's $220,000. Let's say that's all you own. Then you go over to the liability side and say, how much do you owe on that home? You write that number down. Let's say you owe, you know, $200,000, right? Mm -hmm. And then let's say you look at your car and say, how much do you owe on the car? I owe zero on the car. So you, so now if you add those two columns up, you got a $20,000 net worth, right? Because you owe, I mean, you your assets is $220,000. Your liability is $200,000. I'm giving you a real basic example, but now you do a subtraction and now you have a net worth of $20,000. You may do that equation and you may have a negative net worth, which is what I had when I was 30 years old. And that's okay too. But you know, that's what a net worth is. And everybody can do that. And if you do that exercise two, three, four times a year and really start to concentrate on, let me build this up. Oh, you know, that it doesn't fit my net worth. That's going to bring my net worth down. I may not want to do that. It helps you make decisions if you want your net worth to grow. And I think that's what we should be doing. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, the next one I want okay. you to define for us is whole life insurance versus term life insurance. 
Whole life insurance. Woo, man. Mm-hmm. When you air this, right, you're going to have some people that, you know, that love whole life insurance, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a big lover of whole life insurance. So just I'm going to be real basic with it, okay? The whole life insurance is life insurance. There's different types of whole life insurance, right? Universal and, you know, variable life, whatever. But in general, whole life insurance is insurance that you buy and you keep it for the rest of your life and you pay on it. Right? You can you can pay on it the rest of your life as well. And it's usually a little more expensive than, say, a term life. Now, term, again, as I mentioned earlier with that question, uh, term is all about um, uh, the length. Right. So term life allows you to have life insurance for a set length of time, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever you decide to buy. And it runs out when that term is over. You have no more insurance, but it's a lot cheaper. It's a lot. It's a, it's a much more cheaper product. You might buy a whole life policy that has a face value, meaning what it pays out of one hundred thousand dollars. And that that might cost you four hundred bucks a month. You might have a term life policy that has a face value that it pays out of five hundred thousand dollars. But you only got to pay about 20 bucks a month as opposed to four hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference there. You're paying, you pay a whole lot for whole and whole life insurance, and you pay monthly much, 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 much less for term. Now, one of the one of the caveats of whole life insurance is that you can, after a certain point, it builds up cash value that you can actually borrow from, right? You can, but it usually takes a good eight, nine, 10, 12 years to build up enough cash value that is nominal, that is at the right word, that is enough for anything, right? It builds up slowly. So people say, yeah, you know, you can get rich with cash value life insurance, whole life. You can get rich. But the problem with that is, what are you doing after those 10 years? You're going to borrow money so you can go and borrow some more money, put down on something that you can borrow from. And you get what I'm saying? You're you're moving money. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And in the meantime, you paid four hundred dollars a month. Now, if you borrow from a cash value insurance you don't necessarily have to pay it back, but it reduces that face value of a hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at the end of that, if, if you never pay it back, that's cool. You just reduce the face value, um, which you spent ten years paying four hundred dollars a month from. You just reduce it because you didn't pay back your loan. Mm-hmm. But you can. There's a lot of people on the internet that love whole value, and it's a. And the other thing about whole value, whole, whole life insurance, is that it's kind of complicated. Okay. And so all of the quirks and things about it, it's not a bad product for everybody. I'm not saying it's horrible because there's certain people, especially if you have a person that own, that has a lot of money, let's say you got millions. It's nothing wrong with having a, some cash life ins- or cash value life and whole life insurance too. But if you like the regular Joe, like me, start it with nothing. I'm not going to ever tell you to build your wealth wealth with cash value life insurance because it's, it's going to take 10, 15 years for you even have enough in there to do anything with. OK, so I'm not going to tell you because, you know, if you start like me, I'm going to tell you, go ahead and pay twenty dollars a month for fifth for a 15 year term more a term uh, term life insurance. Pay, pay 20 bucks a month, get you about five hundred thousand dollars. Take the other three hundred eighty thousand dollars and start investing like a maniac, because in 15 years you want to be self-insured. In 15 years, you want to be able to say, you know what, I don't even need life insurance. Right. Because I got a million dollars in the bank. Right. I got a million and a half. My family's well taken care of. So that's the end goal of term insurance. Don't just get term insurance and not invest the money because then you kind of defeat the purpose. 
you got to get more term insurance, you know, after the 15 years up and then you're older and it costs more. Hmm. So I'm a term life. I'm a term life insurance guy. I like it more than whole life. But I understand that for people that have money already, there's nothing wrong with investing some of that money into a whole life policy. Right. So you get guys on the Internet like uh, what's the rapper's name? Waka Flocka. There's, there's, is it? Waka Flocka uh-huh. Flame. Yeah. I sound like yes. I'm speaking a different language, but you get what I'm saying. This guy right here, he I saw him on a clip talking about, yeah, I just dropped you know a couple million dollars in a whole life policy. And everybody's looking at that like, oh, we got to go out and get whole life. No, Waka Flocka Flame. He's got $10 million, right? Mm-hmm. So how he uh-huh. builds wealth from life insurance is different than how me and you are going to build wealth from it. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's opening the policy with $2 million. Me and you are yeah. opening the policy with nothing. <laughs> and it's going to take 10, 15 years for us to build cash value life insurance. To me, that's, a, that's, a, that's not the right mentality for a person that wants to build wealth. Get you some term, invest the money in wherever you want to invest, index funds, mutual funds, whatever, and then build that investment up over time. That, that's, that's my suggestion. So I'm sorry, I went on a tangent, whole life versus term. No, that's, this is good stuff, man. All, this, all the, the little nuggets and all the little pieces of information we are here for. Um, I think that's the last one that I had. Okay. Um, Tay, Tay, Producer Jay, y'all want to say anything before we wrap this up? No. Nah. I got none, but just greatness that I heard. Yeah, was no, really I, great. this was... You covered a lot of ground with uh, with this podcast, so very hey, informative. I, I think it's going to help out a lot of people once they hear this. I appreciate you guys having me on, man, and I appreciate you guys for uh, what you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Remember, everything you mm-hmm. everything you're gonna do is gonna start hard. Mm-hmm. It's gonna start hard. It's gonna start. It's gonna take some time. Well, I don't care if it's a budget. I don't care if it's a YouTube channel. I don't care if it's uh, you know working at whatever job or whatever trade or whatever college. It's always hard in the beginning. It gets better along the way. Right. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process because the process is what's gonna make you who you want to become. Right. It's all about what are you becoming? Right. Mm-hmm. Who cares about what who what Brother Jay was a month ago? It's all about what Brother Jay is becoming. Right. And the process and that time is that's what's going to make you who you're going to eventually be. And it's all about becoming. Enjoy the process where you guys are going. But I appreciate you guys having me on, man. And listen, if I can do anything for you guys, always feel free to give me a shout and um, check out that YouTube video. YouTube channel, smart money, bro. I don't get, I don't get paid from that. I get nothing from that. I just enjoy helping other people and uh, spreading some knowledge, man, that might be a little different because I know that I'm not the cup of tea for the millennials. Okay. <laughs> I know that. I already know that. I'm, I'm, and I'm, and I'm comfortable with that. Right. The, the people that hit me up the most are like 40 years old and found out that the get rich quick stuff they were trying to do at 25 and 30 didn't work. Now I've been, I'm in this job, you know, man, what can I do to build this? I made some mistakes and he's 40 years old, got two little kids. And this is the typical person that hits me up and says, man, what should I do? So, again, I'm not that cup of tea for the young folks. But uh, if you if you want to hear something that's a little different, that, that's a little bit more patient, it's not necessarily get rich quick. I'm your guy. Ain't, ain't nothing wrong with that, man. And we again, we. We appreciate you for taking the time. I know this was a long time coming too. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come shop game with us. Um, 
we we could probably have you on again in the future. I could see this being a recurring thing because you got a lot of stuff that we we can't cram in an hour and change. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. But uh, whatever you guys want to talk, you know, real estate, money, personal finance. And even if you want to dig into and help your audience with uh, government contracting, mm. understanding if you have a small business, what you need to do to get a government contract. Because we that's plug, a- y'all. You hear that? We got a plug. We got a plug, y'all. So Yeah, that's a big one, man. There's a lot of people. I feel there. like every- they want to have a... Every other three weeks, we get closer to the government somehow, <laughs> somewhere. Well, you, you want to get closer to government money, right? Yes. Government pays on time, man. Government pays. <laughs> it does. Not wrong. But like every other week, we get closer to the government somehow, some way. <laughs> so the people running for it, people make contracts for it. We get closer to it every so, other week. We're we trying to get out there, man. We're trying to get our name out there. That's good. You know I mean, uh, Brother oh, Tate, so just hard. remind everybody where they can find us. You know the deal. <laughs> yes. Do I? I don't have a deal. Stop. Uh, <laughs> if you want to reach out to us, any questions, anything, just to call, just to reach out to us, you can reach us out on email at excuse me brother podcast at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to us on social media, you can hit me up. I read them all the time. It's on, on Instagram. It's uh, excuse underscore me underscore brother with the A, not the ER, because it's racist. Uh, any time, you can, <laughs> you can subscribe to any of our channels. You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube. At the Excuse Me Brother podcast YouTube channel. Comments. We read the comments. I know I do. I don't know. No, I know I do. That's all that matters. <laughs> and please subscribe to us or wherever you hear this from Apple to Spotify to Google Chrome, whatever you need. Oh, uh, uh, always reach out. Yeah, We're right there. Go ahead, go ahead, put this jam. Yeah, sorry. We, we just uh, created then, a Facebook and we have a TikTok page, so you can follow us on there. Mm-hmm. Yes, like us on Facebook, um, um, Brother Bowie. We, get, we get, just made it this week. Got a new Facebook page. Um, I'm gonna tag you when we when we post the link to this video. Mm-hmm. I'm, we're gonna send it to you so way you can post it on your YouTube page. And I'm probably gonna put it in some of the groups that we're in, the Blackout Coalition and the other groups that we're in, so okay. that way they can see our good works because we're trying to do some work out here. You know what I mean? Excellent, excellent. Appreciate it, man. That's uh, yeah. Let me know where you guys are. I'll definitely peep it out. Um, you know, when when it comes, just give me a shout. Shoot me an email, or you've been texting me. Is that brother Jay that's been texting me? Yes, that's me. Yep. Okay, uh-huh. so yeah, just give me a, just let me know when it comes out, and uh, I'll be more than happy to push and promote and do what I can to help you guys. And uh, get on YouTube, man. Yes. <laughs> get on YouTube, man. You guys on YouTube also. And you heard the way. Are you guys on yeah, YouTube? you heard the way he talks. You, you heard the way he talks. He's intelligent. Thank you, I appreciate it. Are you guys on YouTube? Yes. Yes. Excellent. It's the Excuse Me Brother, it's the Excuse Me Brother channel. Excuse Me Brother podcast channel. Mm-hmm. Push. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. Thank you guys so much. And uh, no problem. Uh, you guys have a blessed one. All right. You too. All right. Take care. Have a great night. Thank you.